This is Breaking the Rules, a show for mental health professionals designed to help you build confidence in treating obsessive compulsive disorder. I'm Dr. Celine Galgich, and I'm a clinical psychologist who works extensively with OCD. And I'm Dr. Victoria Miller, but you can call me Tori. And I'm a clinical psychologist who works with young people, including those with OCD. Through our shared professional experience, we've found that effective treatment of OCD requires commitment, creativity, and the recognition that things can sometimes get a little messy. They sure can. We want to empower clinicians to be able to work with their patients in new ways to treat OCD with confidence. Today, we are speaking with the lovely Tanya Arabatsudis from Melbourne Wellbeing Group. Tanya completed her master's in clinical psychology and has been working in private practice for the last few years. Her interest in body-focused repetitive behaviours and more specifically trichotillomania was strengthened during her postgraduate studies when she studied how emotion regulation and trichotillomania were linked. Tanya works with OCD and OCD spectrum disorders in her role as a clinical psychologist in private practice. In this episode, you'll hear Tanya talk about what body-focused repetitive behaviours are, the limitations of current research into BFRBs, how to use the SCAMP model for assessment and treatment, and the importance of flexibility and going with the flow. Let's get started. Welcome, everybody. Today, we are interviewing the lovely Tanya Arabatsudis, who is our colleague and works with us at Melbourne Wellbeing Group. Her jam is body-focused repetitive behaviours. Yes. Thank you for having me, guys. Welcome. (laughs) Thank you. We're both really excited to think about body-focused repetitive behaviors, or can we call them BFRBs? Yeah, let's do that. (laughs) BFRBs for today. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the place we start with all of our guests, Tanya, is just asking for a bit of an introduction. Could you just start by telling us a bit about yourself and how you came to be interested in uh, BFRBs? Sure. So like Celine said, I'm one of the clinicians here at Mobile Wellbeing Group. I'm a clinical psychologist. My interest started back in honours when, you know, I found a supervisor who had an interest in BFRBs. So I looked at trichotillomania or hair pulling disorder more specifically. So my research in honours and masters or postgrad has been around trick, but a lot of the time trick and skin picking in particular kind of have a lot of overlaps, sort of similar functional impact similar you know that kind of thing so I thought it would be cool to kind of expand who I treat not just with trick but with other more general BFRBs I suppose the more common ones would be the hair pulling and skin picking but theoretically anything like nail biting cheek biting lip biting nose picking all of that kind of thing if of course causes clinically significant distress and that kind of thing can be considered a BFRB. Yeah, so that's, I guess, how my interest started through research. Technically, at the moment, BFRBs fall under the OCD and related disorders umbrella. So it's kind of like a natural progression treatment-wise. What do you enjoy about them? What is it that you find interesting? Because I know that plenty of people, they do research in a particular field, but they might move on. They might find different clinical interests. There might be a difference between what they focus on in research and clinical work. But you've obviously, you've stayed in this space Did you seek out a supervisor who was interested in BFRBs or was that just your first introduction and it's just been fascinating for you? It was really my first introduction. I was kind of looking for a supervisor that had an interest in some sort of psychopathology. (laughs) Anything will do. (laughs) And I just happened to find one that had the OCD BFRB interest. 
and I kind of fell into Celine's lap in the same way. I wasn't looking specifically for an OCD practice or anything like that, but here I am. So I think it just was a natural progression to work with OCD and BFRBs together. And what is it about BFRBs that you enjoy? I think it's important to learn more about them because they're so misunderstood and so under-researched and unfortunately have no real evidence-based treatment, unlike OCD where ERPs yeah your go-to together with I'm sure a mix of things like act and that kind of thing what specifically drew me to them just that it was interesting or something different um I liked trying to explore and understand the process more trying to get a bit more of an idea of how to treat them how to best support people with BFRBs it sounds like curiosity and that thirst for knowledge is really what drew you in and has kept you there because you're right it is under-researched and it is misunderstood and there is a lot of overlap but at the same time there are so many elements of body-focused repetitive behaviors that we don't understand still which is a shame because there are a lot of people who experience BFRBs. Yeah. Yeah they're much more common than we probably think. My exploration into current research have not done that for a little about at least four percent of the population experience a BFRB. Is it four percent? That's huge, yeah. There's a bit of a range, but roughly. Yeah, that's interesting. It could be as high as 4%, so it's not uncommon. Well, that's right. Yeah, that's very interesting. And is that meeting criteria for what you would diagnose as a BFRB? So we're not just talking about, you know, someone who bites their nails, but it doesn't bother them. We're talking about... Correct. Right, interesting. Yeah, Mm, yeah. Very interesting. Can you tell us what a BFRB is? (laughs) That's probably the next logical question. BFRBs are body-focused repetitive behaviours. And like I said, there's a couple of different types. I guess the DSM only really classifies two of them, which is trichotillomania, skin hair pulling, sorry, and exoriation, which is skin picking. Both currently fall under the OCD and related disorders umbrella, however, quite different. The thing that really kind of links them is the repetitive nature of a behaviour. Like a compulsion can be quite repetitive, hair pulling or skin picking can be quite repetitive. Because it is interesting that it still is under the obsessive and compulsive related disorders umbrella because there isn't really an obsession that precedes it, is there? No. Because it is. There really isn't an obsession that precedes it. So it is interesting that it still falls under that umbrella. I think there is some talk around trying to get it into its own category, Mm. (laughs) into a BFRB category or something like that. Obviously, it's not quite happened yet. I suppose there are times where thoughts can prompt a BFRB, but there wouldn't necessarily be obsessions or intrusive thoughts. So I won't bore you too much with too many boring details, but there is, I guess, the comprehensive behavioral model, which kind of outlines, I think, five main domains that impact BFRB. Yeah. Tell us about them. Yeah. So it's a lovely acronym SCAMP. The first one being the sensory kind of domain. So a lot of the time people with BFRBs suppose have a sensory need or they find it soothing or there's something about it that provides a sensory regulation it can act as an emotion regulation Mm, okay thing so that was part of what my research looked into back or when was it now a few years now but we looked at how whether individuals with trichotillomania had difficulties with emotion regulation distress tolerance and experiential avoidance turns out according to my research they do There is certainly an emotion regulation function, but I guess more anecdotally, not everyone has such a strong need for emotion regulation that has a BFRB. 
sometimes it could be a lot stronger on the sensory side where it's like it's just soothing it's pleasurable pleasurable yeah yeah um whereas other times it could be more the soothing because I'm really anxious what's the C the C is the cognitive so that's where thoughts can impact whether it's thoughts around external things like stress at work or university or whatever or thoughts around the actual BFRB yeah what are some examples of those Oh, so it could be the real critical, like, why can't I stop? I've done it again. How Mm -hmm. ugly do I look? That doesn't feel right. That's flawed. You know, that kind of narrative, I suppose. So both can kind of interfere or impact actually engaging in the BFRB. Mm -hmm. And then there's the A, which is the affective, so the feelings, the emotions. The last two, the M and the P, are motor and place. So if I kind of lift my arm towards my head because I'm itchy, but for so long, every time I've lifted my arm towards my head, I've pulled. There's this kind of motor neural pathway that's developed that says every time Tanya goes to her head, it's to pull. So even if I go there, not for the purpose of pulling my hair, just to itch or just to play with my hair, whatever it is, I might pull. And that's because of that motor element. That association that's already there. It's like a cue, isn't it? Yes, that's exactly what it is, a motor cue, which is what maybe other people call a habit. So I kind of think about like if you hear a song and you start bouncing your leg unconsciously, for example, like that's the kind of thing it, I didn't realize I was there. I was just itching my face and all of a sudden I started to pull my hair. Yeah, got it. Okay. Yeah. And places, as it sounds, environmental cues, whether it's a lot of people might engage in BFIBs in the car whilst driving, the bathroom, in the bedroom, in front of a mirror, on the couch, in front of a computer, you know, whatever it is. So again, those things interfere. So the environmental cues come into play. That's such a nice way of putting it all together and really demonstrating how it all comes about. Not only what they are, but how they can develop as well. I think that's a really interesting use of an acronym to kind of help us understand it better as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's a really helpful model to use just to show that it's not so simple. You know, it seems very simple. Oh, you just pick or pull. But it's not. There's a lot that goes into it. It's a lot more complex and complicated than it might initially seem. And I like it as a way to also use during an assessment process too, to go tell me about these areas from a sensory perspective. What is this like for you? From a thought-based perspective, from a feeling perspective, from a movement perspective, like what do those movements look like? And from a contextual perspective, what kinds of environments do you find yourself pulling in? When is it pleasurable? When is it stressful? Do you engage in any secret pulling or picking or whatever else it might be versus doing it openly and all the rest of it? Yeah, absolutely. It's really interesting. How do they develop? Tanya, what does the research say? Who knows, Tori? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Just like with a lot of other conditions, right? It's just an interaction between lots of things, genetic, environment, learning, a lot of things. So there's no real one answer. Do they develop in childhood or when we see that adults, is it likely that they've had it since childhood? Can you develop it in adulthood if you haven't had it as a child? Yeah, so it can develop in childhood. And in fact, a lot of the time, children do engage in BFRBs that pass on their own, if you will. You can develop it as an adult without having had it as a child, certainly. And of course, you can have it as a child and kind of continue it on as an adult. So all which way can kind of happen. Yeah. But it is not uncommon in children. I guess it's just a bit of a just kind of keep an eye out for it because it is really normal and it will kind of pass on its own a lot of the time. But it's just then thinking when it becomes, look at those red flags. When is it interfering or taking up a lot of time or if there's really visible hair loss or skin lesions or that kind of thing. 
what does treatment look like for body-focused repetitive behaviors? You know, we hear a lot about habit reversal therapy and act-based treatments and all that kind of stuff. Can you shed a little bit of light into some of those? If I might jump in as well, we hear a lot that they're untreatable, hard to treat as well. I think it's hard to treat because we don't know what works quite yet. So there's obviously been lots of research still kind of coming through that's looked at things like habit reversal training and all of that mixed efficacy. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not good. From what I understand in literature, I guess what I do in practice is just a bit of everything, whatever I think is going to be useful. And that's really, I don't like that. I like structure. I like to know what I'm doing is going to be helpful. And that's what I say it isn't. Unlike, say, like OCD, there's no real, like, if I know if I do ACT and ARP, like, I'm likely going to get a really good result. I do use a lot of ACTs, a lot of the more traditional CBT, more so in the behavioral stuff, which is probably more like your habit reversal training and all of that. Little elements of DBT around distress tolerance, a lot of mindfulness. Mm -hmm. So it is really a big mixed bag. What are the things you find most helpful when you're working with your clients? Look, I think it's just to go with what they bring up in the room because we can already see that not everyone's BFRB experience is the same. For some, it's more emotion regulation-based. Others, it's more sensory. Others, it's a bit of both. So it's considering where their needs are and trying to meet those. I do still find, I guess, ACT to be my go-to because it's very much around mindfulness, sitting with discomfort, which is going to be present regardless, right, whether it's thought discomfort, physical discomfort, emotional discomfort. I think initially I kind of was in a bit of the mindset of, you know, where habit reversal training or even like more specifically the competing response stuff where you engage in movements or behaviours that make it incompatible for you to engage in the behaviour. So like making a fist, for example, you can't pull your hair if you've got fists or you can't pick your skin if you've got fists. Because I work so much with OCD, I'm like, no, like, bullshit, you can't do that. That's <laughs> <laughs> not a very long-term intervention but certainly I feel like especially short term as we're really reinforcing no pull no peak or whatever so just to kind of kick start the process by the sounds of things just to get that rolling but I think I've become a bit more comfortable I've sat with I have not sat very well with my discomfort but I've <laughs> we're all learning that Tanya <laughs> we're all still learning how to sit with our own discomfort <laughs> <laughs> those kind of interventions are really helpful for BFRBs even those more specific sensory interventions like picking stones. It's like a pumice stone that you actually like, I don't know, use like a tweezer to pick from. Wow. That kind of stuff can be really helpful for BFRBs. Whether it's a long-term solution, I'm not sure, but certainly heightened moments or that kind of thing, why not? If that helps, if that means that you don't damage your skin or don't ruin the, re the growth that you finally have started to kind of get, then why not? So I think that's one thing I've learned that I've sort of had to sort of shift my perspective on a little bit. But for some people, it really helps. It sounds like the thing you're really emphasizing is that BFRBs are incredibly individual. So you've got a really personalized treatment and that what you're doing is you're doing an assessment using the SCAMP model and then you're really personalizing the strategies that you choose based on what their BFRB profile is or how you're formulating their BFRB. And then am I right in thinking it might be a bit of trial and error? Absolutely. I think a BFRB profile is a really good way to put it because, you know, you could have people higher on the sensory domain and lower on the effective or high on all or whatever it might be. So definitely a little bit of trial and error. But research still continues. 
Hannah and I, so another clinician here at the clinic, are developing a BFRB treatment program that we're going to hopefully get evaluated. So that would, I think, add really well to try and understand is what we're doing actually working. Tell us about the group, what you're thinking, how you're approaching it. Tell us more. We're very much using that comprehensive behavioural model that I spoke about earlier, so the sort of scam. And we're actually hoping to get the group evaluated as well externally. So one of my other colleagues is looking at evaluating the effectiveness of the group. Basically, we just want to see if what we're doing is actually helping. Is it helpful? Just because there's no, like we said, no evidence-based treatment. So I guess a start, like I said, a small drop in the ocean of BFRB research. It's still very green, if you will, still trying to navigate what's in it and that kind of thing. But we're pretty close. How far away do you reckon it is now? So we're still working through the modules. I think we've probably got like two modules to finish wrapping up. And then it'll just be some nitty gritties stuff. I think we were hoping to maybe, and I'm going to say this now, so it's going to have to happen, right? But maybe, <laughs> maybe have the first group in yeah. October this year. That'll be exciting. Something like that. Sorry, Hannah. <laughs> it is exciting. Oh, that sounds really exciting, Tanya. Yeah. So look, I hope that I'm going to add something to the BFRB world and to some of our clients who have maybe not had the right support or just generally hasn't found a clinician that understands the BFRB because even in the professional world they're still quite unknown or misunderstood or that kind of thing. Terrific. Okay. What is something you now know that you wish you had known earlier in your career? Go with the flow. It's not all the same, even with OCD work. Yes, ERP, but it's not all the same. It's not all the same ERP or you have to navigate it in a different way. So go with the flow and be flexible. We love that. It's so true, isn't it? It's so easy to want to have a fixed solution because it provides us with comfort and us with a sense of certainty and it makes us feel better about our work. Ironically, and a sense of reassurance. I, I, <laughs> I know, right? Right? I know. We do, you know, but I think sometimes when we become super rigid about treatment, I think it's more about us and our need. Oh, yeah, so true. And about our clients. And I do love that old saying, you know, if your only tool is a hammer, everything's a nail. I think that's really true. The flexibility, go with the flow. I like that. And that rigidity just stops us from actually listening to our clients as well. And we're not hearing anything anymore. It can really be detrimental if we're too rigid. We need to break those rules and get messy. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. The other question, Tanya, that we ask all of our guests is, you know, as well as we do about how normal intrusive thoughts are, that they're not exclusive to people who have OCD. So we ask all of our guests if they have an intrusive thought that they would be prepared to share. Sure. Mine is always, have I turned, have I turned the straightener off? <laughs> Did I lock the door? Should I go back? I have gone back a few times. I have to admit that. Tanya. <laughs> have you? Yeah. All right. I know. Now I know. we know. <laughs> yep. I'm trying very hard now to just drive away. Yeah. It's so hard to do though because you're like, oh, this feels so uncomfortable. <laughs> yes. But what yes. if? But what if? Exactly. Yes. But then it fades and then you get home and you realise, ah, <laughs> you didn't even use a straightener for that. <laughs> yeah. Surprise. Surprise. <laughs> uh, 
that's a good one. Thanks, Tanya. Thank you so much for joining us and for your time today and for providing so much wonderful insight into body-focused repetitive behaviors. Thank you, guys. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to Breaking the Rules, a show for mental health professionals designed to help you build confidence in treating obsessive-compulsive disorder. This podcast is brought to you by Melbourne Wellbeing Group, a psychology practice based in Melbourne with a special focus on treating OCD. To find out more, head to our website, melbournewellbeinggroup.com.au. All one word, that's melbournewellbeinggroup.com.au. This podcast was made with strategy and production support from Wavelength Creative. To make sure you don't miss an episode of Breaking the Rules, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Celine Galgetch. And I'm Tori Miller. And we'll be back next episode with more reasons to convince you to get messy. Have fun and break the rules. <laughs>